in a codependent household or dysfunctional household, our focus is on the addict mm -hmm. as the problem. But there's, when I work with family systems, it's a dance. Yes. And everyone has a role and we all know the roles and we play them very well and we move smoothly through our roles. And it's only when we decide to do things differently that things can change. Let's dig through the mud together. We're so glad you're here. Join us here each week for Mudlark. But da 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 da. Mudlark. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Danny Boltz, and I am so glad you're here. I started Mudlark because I believe with every ounce of who I am that our stories are what connect us, especially the darker, more challenging parts of them. So that is what we are doing today. Yet again, today's conversation is incredible, you guys. I am talking with Mickey Prophet, who is an EFT practitioner, an addictions counselor, a personal trainer. She wears all of the hats, which I could fully re relate with. But what I love about Mickey is there is definitely this very clear center line that ties all of her work together. And it really just comes back to living courageously and putting yourself first, setting boundaries. Like it's just all, all of her work inspires me to my core. And I'm so excited to share her with you today. Before we hop into the episode, I want to just give you guys a heads up that next week I'm going to be sharing with you a solo episode that is really going to help you tap into the energy of 2020. And I'm also going to be adding a guided meditation at the end of it, along with some journaling prompts that are going to help you just get very clear on what your intentions are for 2020. And I'm just so excited. How are you guys feeling? How do you feel right now? It's kind of wildly busy. Do you guys feel that? Do you feel like the energy of the holidays? And I mean, I'm sure there's some family stuff coming up because it is such a family packed time for many of us. It's it's kind of not so much for us this year. We're kind of just doing our little family unit stuff, which feels really good. But I imagine that some of you are feeling that kind of like triggering emotion of who do I need to go see? Who do I need to buy gifts for? Where do I need to be on Christmas day? And I want you to just take a moment to take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. And then go ahead, take one more huge breath in and let it go. Drop your shoulders, relax your jaw. And I want you to just feel how okay you are right now in this moment, how whole you are right now. And very similarly to what Mickey talks about in today's episode, boundaries mean self-love. So even if you're needing to set some boundaries with your family this holiday season and it's scary, I want you to feel supported and know that that is really a reflection of how you care about yourself. And of course, there's just times where we kind of, you know, when there are people in our lives that we love, but they are kind of triggering and uncomfortable to be around. Like 
we'll sometimes like put others needs before our own or we don't want to like rock the boat so we don't say anything but I just want you to know that that is just going to prolong these feelings so the quicker you start setting boundaries the more clear the more authentic the more true your existence is going to feel so I just want you to feel supported and not afraid not alone and with you I love you So at the end of the show today, I'm going to be sharing a listener review. And without further ado, let's move on to my conversation with Mickey Prophet. I'll see you on the other side. We'll just hop into it. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you. (laughs) Good. Well, I love to just begin the show with hearing a little bit about you. So you introducing yourself and then just like taking us back, kind of like what were you like as a kid and just, yeah, where were you born? Things like that. So starting with your name and what you, what your life is like. So my name is Mickey Prophet and um, I am, I am from from around here, from Oregon, and grew up in Oregon City and have lived and worked primarily in the Sandy area for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, you were the drug and alcohol counselor at my high school. That's actually how I met you. And I don't think you remember me. I don't remember you because you never sat in my office. Yeah. So, <laughs> Surprisingly. You may have needed to be there. I don't know. Yeah, but... uh, yeah I remember... I saw Mickey at the gym here. We both were, I don't think you were teaching there at the time, but I teach yoga at our local gym Mm -hmm. and I saw you in the dressing room. I think we were changing. (laughs) And I was like, you look so familiar. Where are you from? And you're like, well, I worked at the high school. I was like, bingo. Yep. That's where you're from. So yeah. Uh, Where, where were you born? I was born in Portland. Okay. Yep. So I've been here. I grew up in the Portland area, Oregon city, graduated from Oregon city high school. Wow. Quite some time ago. Yeah. And And do you have any brothers or sisters? I have two younger sisters. I'm the oldest of three girls. Big sister. I am the big sister. I feel like I interview a lot of big sisters. It's probably because I'm a big sister and I'm always just like drawn to that energy. I don't know why. It's so funny. What's your relationship like or what was your relationship like with your parents? Well, tricky. Yeah. That's a really good um, answer. It was very tricky growing up in a home of tremendous dysfunction and um, addiction. Um, It was very tricky. It was um, difficult at best and scary yeah and was it on both sides both your mom and your dad nope my mom would call herself a teetotaler so she never drank but she surely carried the characteristics of a codependent yeah and my father was the alcoholic practicing alcoholic right and so it was kind of like that enabling role and just kind of our like unspoken rule in our household was silence so mm. there was a tremendous amount of anger that was palpable, but never expressed except verbally, um, verbal abuse, I would say, was the, the, the most powerful controller in our household. Yeah, I bet being the oldest sister to, like, you probably experienced so much of that before. I, yes, and... Um, it wasn't a secret in my family that my mom would always say to me, I just don't know why your dad doesn't like you. And so oh. that was a common phrase in my household wow. um, offered up to me as a child in through adolescence. So that was just an understanding, an intrinsic understanding that I didn't really know 
um, how much weight it carried until I got into my adult life. Right. Because when you're little and you don't know anything different, you're like, oh, I guess my dad just doesn't like me. That's horrible. Right. And so my mission in life was to please him, of course, because who doesn't want their father's love and affection? And that was never um, something that happened. Right. That's so interesting. Was it was he the same way with your sisters? Sort of. They were four and five years younger. And so without we were a home of um, no affection mm. or nurturing. And so it felt kind of like we all lived in our separate little worlds. Yeah. And just kind of walked around on eggshells trying to find I just think I lived in a kind of a daze most of my childhood and adolescence years just trying to survive and figure out what the next right thing was to do to stay out of trouble yeah and would your mind jump to that place of like oh I can't wait till I leave this place or were you just like no this is just how it is this is just family and it's hard no because I'm more of an introvert Mm -hmm. and a deep feeler and processor I personalized everything so I didn't have the ability at the time to discern the truth from a lie and so my self-worth and self-esteem and self-identity were pretty much non-existent right and were you involved in a lot of things as a kid like did you do sports or I was on dance team Mm-hmm. And so that was a really great outlet for me. I've always been really athletic, um, although I never excelled at anything because that was not making mistake was not acceptable in my upbringing either. So I learned to play small and to stay under the radar just enough that I didn't make a mistake. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like that perfectionism a little bit, but also kind of mixed with that a little underachieving like you're not I'm not gonna be loud enough for anybody to hear me right right. I became yeah I was really quiet and yeah always did what I was asked to do and always got by but Mm -hmm. never really stepped into my power or even knew that I had power yeah when did things start to kind of open up for you because like the thing that you and I have connected on so much is just like that self-growth and like Mm -hmm. reflection and you're so like intuitive and just in touch with that part of you now when did how did that even enter your life I think the very beginning of my own empowerment and I just wrote a blog about this was um, when I began running Mm -hmm. and that was I was 23 and had just had my my oldest child and I needed a break so I started running and I excelled at it Mm -hmm. and I became um addicted if you will to it but I found power and freedom there and that was the first taste of either one of those things that I had ever experienced which led me to becoming a fitness instructor and trainer and then that led me to um college did you get um did you go to college and had a running scholarship or did you No, I just went to college I wasn't allowed to go to college right out of high school that was not something that my father allowed Mm. and um and I was 17 when I graduated so So you were still a kid I was still a kid and really dependent upon my family for that support which they couldn't offer and um so when I went to college I was reading a book called It Will Never Happen to Me. I remember the day and the time and where I was sitting in my home. And it was that moment that I realized that I had grown up in an alcoholic home. I didn't know before that. It was just the way life was. And so about that same time is when I began therapy. Mm, Wow. And did you 
seek out a therapist did you like look in the phone book yeah like like, in a hot minute wow yeah that's so amazing you're like I know that something yeah I knew and I knew that I was an adult child of an alcoholic just because my how do you deny your life when you're reading it in black and white is what I always say to myself is like when it's there in black and white and it really it's like telling my story it must I better take a deeper look what was the book it will never happen to me by Claudia Black it will never happen to me. And this is children of alcoholic parents? Well, it's kind of, yeah. Like, as an adult child of an alcoholic, I think children always say, I'll never be like my parents. Right. You know, kind of a thing. And then when I was reading that, it was like it was telling my story, everything that was going on in my life. I was not an alcoholic, but I certainly had all the characteristics of a child who grew up in that home. Yes, this I'm really curious and I'll ask hi, my husband when he gets back. But my mother in law, I remember she she had read a book and it sounds just like this book because she's a child of alcoholic parents. And she was like, I was reading my story, right? her exact story she was like this is me right. and but never piece it together because you don't realize how what you're growing up in how that impacts you no it's your norm and so when you went to your therapist did you tell him you're like this is what I've discovered about myself and I really want to peel back layers or how was it I don't know if I was that articulate yeah I think that that just kind of rocked my world and I needed to figure some things out and so that began a very long journey of um counseling and other healing journeys and to date like I'm still on that journey of unlayering yeah. and healing and deeper and it's my calling right yeah so you went to call you did end up going to college mm-hmm. though yeah. where did you go just community college I got an associate's degree in um, addictions counseling and became a certified addictions counselor and did you you got the uh, associate's degree and then did you go on to work with that right away I did I've been in the field since I was 32 that's so So incredible 30 over 30 years oh my gosh Mm -hmm. and you did you go right to Sandy like where I met you no I really began working with women in a treatment center and then I was on staff at a church as women's counselor and so I worked with women that were being abused by their husbands who were in that church wow and created a faith-based program and also women who were married to addicts alcoholics in our church community wow and then from there I was invited to apply for a job in the Malala school district as behavioral specialist or addictions counselor and initially I said no I'm not working with teens right you know but I applied <laughs> and um, stayed in that field working with adolescents until a year ago wow it's also I got like kind of distracted when you were saying that because my my dad went to Malala school oh he did yeah okay. like I have family out in Malino and <laughs> right. like that's where he went and yeah that's just so weird I was like whoa I know I, n- I never hear anyone talk about Malala yeah I was there for seven years at the high school whoa uh-huh. that's crazy yeah. and what was that like so did it what I see in you is you literally took your exact experience mm-hmm. and then brought it into your work. You're like, I need yeah. to help people see this and understand how to work with this kind of experience. Did you, were you really open with the kids that you were working with at these schools? Like, would you share any insight to your growing up with? Um, when it was beneficial, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Never to just like, blurt my story because that doesn't really serve a purpose but they knew where I came from and they knew my struggles Mm. and in a 
in a safe way for them. Yeah. Right. And because I am a lifelong learner and really invested in my own healing journey, I think every time I make progress and find another layer of healing, then I get to offer that up to whoever I'm working with. Absolutely. Like, it doesn't go to waste. Yeah. It was, I did a little listener call out because we did get listener questions, which we'll touch on at the end of this, uh, at the end of this episode. But I can't tell you how many people reached out when they saw your picture that went to high school with oh. me that said, I love Mickey. Oh, <laughs> isn't that so sweet? It's very sweet. Yes. Yeah. And you, I obviously didn't know you. I knew who you were, but I didn't work with you at all. I didn't really get into drugs too bad in mm-hmm. high school. I mean, I smoked a little bit of pop, but like didn't go right. down a big road of it. And I just remember always seeing you and I always, I would think that you were one of the students. Oh, <laughs> like when I would like glance at you. Cause right. you just like, I don't know. It was just like the energy. Like you were right. just like, have this really young, like vivacious spirit. Mm-hmm. And I Thank just remember you. seeing that it was so nice. So I, that just brought to mind, I have to say this right now. So 10 years ago today, I was on a plane with five Sandy High School girls to Jinja, Uganda. Whoa. 10 years ago today? Today. We were in the air and we're having our 10-year reunion um, on Saturday. Oh my gosh. And what were you guys doing over there? Well, we were doing whatever we were led to do. Mm. We didn't really have a plan of action. You're like, let's just go. Let's (laughs) just go. And I know you would know some of the the now grown women and they were girls in the high school that really struggled with addiction and substances and other dysfunctions in their family. Wow. And I just had one of those intuitive hits that said, I have got to do this, go to Africa. That is crazy. So we raised almost $30,000 in nine months and we went. What the heck? What the heck? That is wild. It, and how long were you guys there? Three and a half weeks. And was it profound? Was It, it just... was profound. And I think this weekend with our reunion coming up, with these girls now women coming together, we're going to share the profoundness of that experience because as high school girls, I don't think they understood how profound that was. But now looking back 10 oh, years my later, goodness. and are these women doing great? Like most of they're, them? Yeah. I mean, they all have their life struggles, of course, as all of us like do. Like every human. <laughs> but all five of them are making arrangements to be there. Wow. That's going to be emotional. It's, I think it would be. Oh my gosh. I'm just I'm like so nostalgic. Excited. So so when you said like love, I love these girls so much because mm-hmm. we worked side by side for nine months and then spent almost a month in Africa together to raise the money and then That's to amazing. get there. And there's so much power in that too. I imagine <clears throat> for them just seeing what they were able to do and how they were able to like really, I mean, pay for that trip, like get right. the funding for that. We plugged a lot of pop cans yeah I bet we had no money we didn't have a dime to our name when we began yeah and so I think that's a piece of what I'll call recovery right like they were they had good grades they were getting clean and sober they were showing up for all our fundraisers Mm. against all odds wow right that's wonderful and we did it that's so cool so Oh, that's wonderful. I love that so much. Yeah, I can't wait to hear how that goes. Oh, like meeting me up with them. Where are you guys meeting? We're meeting at one. Each girl was assigned a mentor, an adult mentor that, that made the journey with her um, oh. to be met by a Ugandan young woman mentor. Wow. So our uh, one of our adult mentors here in Sandy is hosting it at her house. That sounds so mm-hmm. great. Could you kind of break down like what that would look like working with them? Like what would it, would you just meet with these women regularly at the high school and... 
Yeah, my job. So I did a lot of experiential learning. So we were on ropes courses and mm. um, different retreats and those kinds of things to yeah. get them out of their comfort zone and into a unnatural setting. Yeah. And I know that um, with any high schooler that really struggles with substances, it's not about the substance. It's about what's going on typically in their home life. Absolutely. And so... Um, I didn't know as much then as I know now, so yeah. I would have different a different toolkit available. Yeah, and different work. And were you using like a lot of like this trauma informed language that like you and I kind of talk about? Like it's it wasn't really available. I then. know what no. the heck. No, it's pretty new on the horizon. Yeah, and it's kind of a catchphrase nowadays. Right. But, um, you and I have had that conversation about trauma and the importance of the work. And there are two sayings that I like to use. And that is that trauma is really the gateway drug to all other drugs and that trauma wins every time. Mm. And so unless we can get in there and do the work now that I know, um, the trauma work, um, typically we would just repeat our patterns. Absolutely. And so much of, I don't want to get too far ahead because there's still something I wanted to get back to, but so much of your healing has been through EFT. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably not the only thing. There's been so many things, but can you talk about EFT a little bit and what that is for like the complete beginner? Because so many of our listeners like probably don't even know what it is. Yeah. So how I literally stumbled across EFT was I had just begun my own deep trauma work about five or six, maybe six years ago now. I didn't really know what it was, what trauma was. Yeah. Because it wasn't talked about and any therapist that I'd ever worked with never addressed trauma. Mm. So. So um, as I began studying and doing my own work, I came across um, EFT tapping. And what drew me to it was there was a segment on trauma. Mm. And I thought, okay, this is my ticket. This is my next step. So as I began listening to this podcast that was like a week long with a a different speaker or two or three every day, um, I began tapping, which is Tapping is known as emotional freedom techniques and or meridian tapping. Mm. And it is a tool that helps to calm our, the fight or flight response in our brain that sends a calming response, which is our stress response, right? It lowers the stress response and allows for trauma, if we're talking about trauma right now, to begin to be released from our body because trauma is stored in our bodies, in our cells, literally. Mm -hmm. And no amount of talking in and of itself is going to release that trauma from yourself. Like where talk therapy isn't going to do it all. And that's not a slight against talk therapy. It's just that we know we know more and we know better today. Yeah. It's that mind body connection. Like that's Mm -hmm. again, another thing we talk about and probably why we're both doing body work aside from all the other stuff we both do, but it's having to use this body as the main gateway to healing. Right. And so it's when anyone experiencing a negative emotional state or is stressed out and we all have stress in our lives, we live in a very stressful world these days, right? Our brain instantly goes on alert. And that's a physiological response that we can't control. And so in the in the day of the tiger, right? The stress response was necessary for because it would save someone's life. You would get a flood of adrenaline to your limbs and you'd be able to run faster and get away from um, 
the enemy. But in today's world, we live typically with that stress response on the majority of the time, right? And so if you are coming from a place of trauma, you've stored that stress response or triggers and it can take you back um, in a moment's notice Mm -hmm. to a place that was prior as if it's happening now. So with EFT, it sends um, that message to the amygdala that says, take a breath, mm-hmm. right? It, pause. Yep, pause. And it quiets our brain into alpha brain waves. So our cortisol dro- drops. It's been proven that cortisol is reduced by 49% in an hour's worth of tapping. Oh my god! And that's our main stress hormone. <laughs> that's crazy. Right? That's a huge thing. Yes. And our DHEA rises. Okay. And What's so the DH? It's a good hormone. That okay. ha- that's a calming, peaceful hormone that's healthy. It's a good one. We want right. that one. Yes. And so it, um, it quiets our limbic system is what Mm. EFT does. Wow. Yep. And so it helps to recalibrate, um, the brain by slowing it down. And so what happens is literally when we get into that stress response, we go offline. Yeah. Like we lose our ability to think or create. Mm -hmm. We just go into survival mode and it can be as subtle as, um, a traffic jam. Yeah. Right. Because it accumulates. And so day after day after day, Mm -hmm. we accumulate these stressors and they become what I call our constant companions. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know that they're there. Right. So with EFT, we start looking at as an example, if it was stress, we would Mm -hmm. call that a tabletop issue. So typically we talk in generalities as humans, like I'm so stressed out. Well, what are you stressed out about? Well, I'm so stressed out because I have It's Christmas time and I have so many bills and expenses. But with EFT, what I would do with my client is we would talk about stress, but then the events that support that stress. Yeah. And so then we would tap on those single events by connecting our mind and our body. So I would say, so what's stressful? Well, today I just spent $100 on a Christmas gift that I didn't have the money for. Right. Okay. So you're feeling stressed out about spending that money and where do you feel? what's the emotion around that stress? Well, panic. Yeah. So where do you feel that panic in your body? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, my heart is racing. Yeah, chest. Yeah, so we connect the mind and body. And what I've discovered along the way is most people don't know where they, what they're feeling, Mm -hmm. much less where they're storing it in their bodies. Yeah. And then it shows up as what we'll call dis-ease, right? Yeah. Which then manifests in physiological ways Mm -hmm. because our thoughts produce our feelings, which then produces the physiological response to that. Mm Mm-hmm without us even knowing and so if we're responding the same way to certain situations we literally have grooves in our brain Mm -hmm. that help us to continue on that story loop right we have to write the new story we do and EFT helps us to write that new story by rewiring the brain literally creating new neural pathways Mm -hmm. in our brain it's so it's literally brain surgery it is it's neuroscience yeah there's proof there's research being done all over the world it's the most amazing and effective efficient tool that I've ever had the privilege of using in my practice oh it's so powerful and I'm I've been wanting to learn so much more about it which is why I wanted to bring you on the podcast Mm. so bad because I've seen how much it has helped you and just like just really bringing you back into presence and feeling okay 
it's been really amazing. Um, and there's, I mean, with addiction, we know with trauma, right, that deep rooted childhood complex trauma, yeah, that the only way to really access that is by starting from the outside in, right. And so with EFT, it begins this unlayering process. Mm. And you never really know what's going to surface, because typically we don't remember because it's in our subconscious. It's totally in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful thing to be able to go in there because our subconscious is really the one driving the ship. Right. Right. Absolutely. And we don't know it. Yeah. So, um, and then, so like when you are tapping, mm -hmm. you're using what your pointer finger and your middle you use finger, like your pointer finger and your middle finger. And there's nine meridian points or acupressure points, much like acupuncture, except without the needle. Right. And it's more of a, if we can say this, like a psychology form, emotional, form psychology form of of acupuncture oh wow because we're always talking about the event and yes. the feelings and the body mm, that's so beautiful you've read the body keeps the score mm -hmm. isn't that oh the my best? gosh that book everyone needs to own right and it's the god's honest truth the yeah. body keeps the score the body keeps the score and none of us escape that yeah, we can't escape it. We it's, can't. Everything's in there. It is. And so like, I mean, this is a really great example of how like during a yoga class, like when you, when we're in like a deep hip opener or whatever, and we're breathing and we get to these places and, you know, people start crying, like mm -hmm. it can be really emotional and yep. it's literally releasing stored emotion like yep. in our hips or our shoulders or wherever. It's just because everything is in us. Right. And we are, I always say that we are like... Um, evidence-seeking missiles. Like if we have core beliefs and our core beliefs have been established by the time we're around eight, little right? And we don't even know what they are. No. But our subconscious says, if as an example, I'll use myself as an example, my self-worth was like, you know, not non-existent. So what I did throughout my life until I began my own journey on this was I would seek out evidence spoken or unspoken that would prove that I was not worth anything. Yes. And, and it, it appears everywhere. Yes. And you think, yep, I knew I didn't have oh, value. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. And it's like every, I mean, I, I love that you just said that so much because it's like, I try to, I talk about this with my students a lot. It's like, where in your life feels shitty? Like where in your life are you feeling less than or not important? Cause those are the beliefs that you are mm -hmm. recreating. Right. We are recreating those things that we're not worthy or we're not smart enough. hundred percent. And we do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And then somehow that becomes our most familiar place of living and existing and being. So we're uncomfortable if it's different. Totally. And so we have yeah. to learn a new way. Mm -hmm. And that means that we're literally rewiring our brain. Yeah, absolutely. And you, we have to do it. All of us have to do it. And that's like where the abundance exists is on the other side of that. It is. And I love Brene Brown's quote oh. of the arena, right? Yes. And I was just thinking about that on yeah. my drive for to meet with you and if you're not in the arena of the arena with a dirty muddy face getting the shit kicked out of you then yeah. I don't want to hear from you if you're a if you're in the stands just pointing your finger and offering up advice yeah I'm sorry your words don't matter no because I have been in that arena and the yeah. people that I have the honor of working with are definitely in the arena and they are muddy I know I mean think of the premise of this show it's right? like muddy it's right. like let's dig through the it's mud messy healing is messy healing is so messy 
messy. And it's like, but that is the price we have to pay to live an abundant life, to live a life that is rich and nourishing because it's the other part is literally numbing out addiction, like all of, or living from that story that we didn't write. Right. Right. And our stories can become addictive. Yeah, absolutely. And fear, which I identify as false evidence appearing real yeah presents herself and says you'll never be happy you might as well just go have a drink yes might as well go eat whatever you might as well yeah and you think okay you're right you're right yeah or I'll never have money I'll never have abundance because I grew up in scarcity mom and dad are poor I'll never have money right you know it's these stories Mm -hmm. that and then we we attract that in and we create that life and then we wonder yeah. why we're miserable yeah but it's not easy that's what I want to really emphasize healing yeah. is not for the faint of heart it is not it's the hardest <laughs> it's, it's the, the hardest, hardest. Thing. <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done Me too. and and it's like what I've noticed with the healing process and I've been on my own for about the last decade of it's such an expansion and contraction like everything else in life you know once you open and you realize whole like with tapping like maybe you unlock like this belief that you're like holy shit I see where I picked that yes. up and you feel unstoppable but then there's the contraction oh. that comes and you're like shit there's more because right. it but it's forever but it like the bigger the expansion like the more vibrant the light our life becomes right and we don't have to get stuck in that contraction right and that's where from my seat, how I work with people, that's where EFT comes in because we can get stuck in that contraction Yeah, because that's typically a belief. Yeah. Right. That contraction is that next thing that's coming up. Yeah. And it's that sifting and sorting. And I, the analogy I use is like plucking a rock up out of a riverbed and everything becomes murky and you can't see, you know, an inch in front of you. Oh, I love that. And so it isn't until the dust settles and then you have a clear new perspective. So clear. Mm But you have to be willing to stay in the middle of that murkiness and not flee, Mm -hmm. sit with it, sit with it, and be brave. Mm -hmm. I think it takes such courage, yeah, to be in the messiness of your healing journey. Absolutely, in the messiness of your story. Oh my goodness, yeah, it can feel so scary. I I don't remember who said this. Maybe it was like my Angelo or something, but it was, I should know this. That's like a big name to say if it's not correct, but it's like the, you don't want to go like my mind is like a dark neighborhood. Like I don't want to go there alone at right. night. That's not a place you want to go alone, no. you know, cause it's like our stories like can feel so scary and dark and different than everyone's. And they're so familiar. Yeah. And we're so used to them. Yeah, for sure. So with EFT, so are you're working with people right now doing EFT, correct? Yeah, I have clients all around the country because That's we can amazing. do it on Zoom. Wow. And so, um, mm-hmm. and I work two of my, I have two niches really. And my first niche is working with families in recovery. Mm. And I like to say that recovery is a family matter. And so coming from the background of working with adolescents with substance abuse problems or trauma, all of it, um, I've kind of switched gears, um, meaning now I work with the entire family system. Yes. I want to talk about that. So what does that look like? How do you get connected to these people? How do they find you? And what does the healing process look like? Well, the healing, well, let me answer in order. So I get connected typically through um, 
old referrals or old students that are continuing in their addictive behavior, like mm. former students, I should say, not old, yeah. that haven't found their way out of their addiction and their families are repeating their same patterns, hoping it will be different this time, right? right? And it simply is not. Yeah. So in order for change to occur, um, I typically spend a day or two in the family's home doing an intensive day of looking at boundaries and beliefs and um, changes that they can agree upon communication like what's on on limits off limits to talk about with the with their child that's really struggling with addiction Um, rescuing versus um, offering support there's a big difference and a fine line Mm. and then we begin EFT Wow. So you do EFT with all these with families? all of the family members. Whoa. Single sessions, weekly single sessions. That's incredible. So talk about an arena, right? Yeah. Because we, you and I know, people who are listening to this podcast probably know that the only person that we can change is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we can't rescue our child. We can't want it more than they do. We can't suffer enough to cause them to get the help that they want and that they deserve. Right. That is their choice. Yeah. And it may or may not ever occur. And with these families, especially the moms, their whole life has revolved around this child that has struggled and suffered so much. And they're heavy laden oftentimes with guilt and blame and regret and what ifs and could, should, woulds. And all those deep-seated questions of, if only I would have, maybe X, Y, or Z wouldn't have happened. Right. But the truth of the matter is, is that perhaps, Yeah. but perhaps not. Right. And ultimately, the choice of recovery is each individual's choice. Mm, and I've... it's never been for lack of support or desire or help for these families that I'm working with. If anything, they've probably offered too much for too long. Right. And then it almost turns into this like cyclical thing oh. of like enabling in a way oh. or like, yes, you can come back home. And then yep. there's stealing or who knows what goes right. on. And the what I hear oftentimes is what if I don't pay for this cell phone? What if they overdose and they die? What if I don't provide a car for them? They can't get to a job. Well, they're not working anyway, you know, kind of a thing. What if I don't let them move back home? I can't keep my eye on them. What if they go back to their drug friends? Right. So those are all the beliefs Yeah. and the, like the anchors that are weighing this family down in their stuck patterns that we begin to work on. Yeah. And then the actual feelings around having a child that's an addict. Yeah. Moms are angry, but they, how do you show anger at that one that you love so much? Yeah. Do I have the right? Right. Well, if it's in there, you do. Right. Right. And you, you have two kids. I have two kids. And did either of them experience? Oh yes. (laughs) Can we talk about that a little? hundred percent. Yeah. So my son um, has Asperger's, so that's been a challenge in and of itself. And then I am the mother of a struggling teen Mm. um, who now is a grown woman who um, we don't have a happy ending. Mm. And I guess that's the thing that I've come to learn is that there isn't a guarantee for our child no matter what. And um, one of the scariest things as a mom of a child who's addicted is being asked a question such as, and I've been asked this question, what did you do so wrong that your child turned out the way that oh, she did? Jesus. Right? Yeah. And my reply was, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I didn't say that, but I thought it. <laughs> Good for you. Better person than I am. <laughs> but I did say, don't 
think that I haven't asked myself that question a million times. And if I knew the answer, I'd tell you. Right. And so my daughter is um, in her 30s and is addicted to prescription drugs. She also has a mental illness Mm. and um, has put me through hell. But there was a point in time that I decided I deserved to have a life of joy and freedom and that even with my best laid efforts and oh my goodness years of trying yeah um I couldn't want it more than her right and so that's so powerful and it's so like it's very raw in my my throat Yeah. yeah because it's like you I just feel it like you can love you love your child more than anything but you can love your child to death you can literally love your child to death and it's counterintuitive for a mother to walk away right there's it took so much yeah to finally get to that point Mm -hmm. and it's personal yeah it's a personal point no one can tell you when that time is no one can tell you how to do it or what that moment will be but there hopefully will come a time and so I help families begin that journey Right. That's and really it's a long powerful. process. It's a long process. I mean, perhaps a lifelong process. Perhaps a lifelong process. And there's no right, wrong, good or bad yeah. failure or success. It's like, did you do the best that you could do today? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That was the first question I asked the family that I'm working with currently is like, through all these years, have you shown up and done the very best you could do? Mm. Yes. Okay. Then that's enough. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's freeing. Yes, it is. I just love that. And I love the way, just the way you exist in the world. And I'm sure that all these families you're working with, you're just helping people see like the light that they do have, the light that is in them. And like, do you, when you're working with them, do you share things about like your relationship with your daughter or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, again when it when it serves right um a purpose for their their best interest. Right. For me to just tell my story of my daughter. And here's the other thing is like as a mom, it's so complicated mm. and there's so much story that where do you even begin to tell the whole thing? So it's only those right. nuggets that really hold the power that that family needs in the moment. Exactly. I love mm-hmm. that. And I feel that too. Like, of course, this this show here, Mudlark, is about like sharing your story. And it's about like sharing like the nitty gritty parts of it. And it's like, I've shared a lot on this show, but I haven't shared like the things that I don't think there will be purpose there like or that will maybe help somebody right and I think what I what I've come to identify for myself that is not spoken about often or if at all is when you have a child that is caught an adult child that continues on the path of addiction I I've identified it for myself as living grief Mm. like that child is alive and there isn't closure as in a death but something has has died like and so it's this living grief and it's an undercurrent of grief that is is palpable at times but needs needs to be witnessed and addressed and released within to me a circle of women yeah a circle of moms who know yeah that experience and want more healing right have you found that for yourself yeah, I continue to do my work on that. Every now and then I call it sneaker wave. A sneaker wave will come. My yeah, daughter like, has four children. Oh, wow. And they have been in the throes of her addiction and that lifestyle. And it hasn't been for lack of effort to try to get them removed. But our system doesn't really favor 
Right. Um, anyway, it hasn't worked. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. But you have found support in that and found other moms that. Yeah. And that's part of my calling too, is mm-hmm. I get it from the inside out. Yes. And I know the journey of healing and I know the silent suffering that takes place for families who have a children um, caught in the throes of addiction. It's silent suffering because when you're looking out, right, the evidence that we were talking about, you look out into the world and all you can see are those families that are so together and their children are successful and they love each other so mm-hmm. much and you go, well, I'm going back home. Yeah. Because how on earth would I ever share my story? Yeah. Exactly. And people, I mean, the truth is people are judgmental. People do go to that place when they're not in the arena. Right. Um, right. Or, or they might say like behind, under their breath, thank God that's not me. Yeah. Right. Or at least I didn't raise my child <laughs> like that. Yeah. Right. All those comments that I've heard. Yeah. Or I've seen the look. Yeah. And you know. Oh, of course I know. Yeah, I know too. I get it. You know? And so that isn't a good place to be right where's your life what is your life like right now like I mean it sounds Hmm. like you're working you're (laughs) you're building your business even more but what is like I guess like more intimately what does your life look like so my life right now is um expanding right Mm -hmm. I'm taking risks that I never thought I would take Mm -hmm. um I am continuing with my own healing journey which for me is intergenerational work yeah which is crazy good and (laughs) crazy meaning with EFT and a different uh more a different um way to use it is to literally go back into your subconscious and visit those places of childhood and or prenatal wow and rewire those things that were passed on through the generations which happens yeah absolutely and so I am so fascinated by it and I'm also so excited to begin using intergenerational EFT work with my families oh my and what was your introduction to the intergenerational it was an advanced trauma training oh that I took um just this last year and what was the training called it was called um tapping out of trauma 2.0 and so um intergenerational trauma was one of those um, modules in the class and you're like this is my work <laughs> this oh is amazing <laughs> yeah and yeah. then just doing it for the lo- yeah just doing it and going to those places and who yeah that's all I can say who it's big and powerful and rocks your world yeah aside from like all of the healing work mm-hmm. that you do and the work you do with families yep. um what do you like to do I love the gym so yeah. I'm a trainer too I know I work a lot I love to work yeah but I um am um I brought Pink Loves Boxing to Oregon, which is a women's empowerment boxing program. Mm. And what I love, and this is kind of a a guide for myself, is the tagline with PGB is revealing the champion from within yourself and one another. So when I step into a place and I don't feel like that person is interested in helping me to be my champion or to champion myself, that's not the right place for me. No. And so... When I'm in what I'll call the arena of boxing with these women, yeah, and they are tapping into that place of power <gasps> and life. I want to do it. Oh, I want you to do I it. I want to. It is the best. Oh. And um, there's just something as a woman, especially maybe a woman that comes from a deep background of trauma, to be able to 
punch something it's non-contact so I don't want you to think that we're slapping each other silly because we're not <laughs> not so much like my mom's episode did you listen to my mom's <laughs> oh no. she did a cage fight oh no, no yeah there's no cage fighting episode two <laughs> listen to that <laughs> so but anyway I brought it to the community and it's it's awesome and then the other thing that I love to do is play guitar mm. and write music and yeah connect. tell me what you said about guitar when you got here can you oh yeah so I just um took my guitar that's been with me for 40 some years off out of the corner and uh, re um, reconnected with her yeah and she is my source of connection to my creator and where I find my voice mm. and those words that maybe I can't express as easily in a situation like this yeah but um it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And to be able to have kind of the portals of heaven open up at <laughs> any given time yeah. and experience that connection is beyond anything I could describe with words. When you were playing music a lot, because mm -hmm. it's been about 10 years. Nine years. Nine yeah. years. And I just, oh, and I just pulled her off the shelf um, three days ago and I was playing reluctantly yeah. because you lose your ability right yeah and I heard this little voice inside of me that said return to your roots whoa and I went my roots and so this might seem silly but John Denver <laughs> is my are my roots yeah. and he was growing up in the home that I did listening to his music and learning to play guitar with his music was about for me breath and freedom and the expansiveness of what he sings about in his songs and it was my way to connect with creation really so on beautiful. a very deep and heartfelt level and did you um start playing when you were at home as a kid i did i had a so, tree i would go sit under and play oh mm -hmm. do you have a favorite song oh my gosh no you don't have a favorite song no yeah well kind of i really love rhymes and reasons by john denver oh and um eagle and the hawk okay so those two yeah we'll listen to them after this episode i know it's awesome that's so cool i'm so glad you're tapping back into that oh it's like yeah would so. you write your own music always no really mm -hmm. always wrote my own music yeah oh my gosh mm -hmm. that is such a skill i uh i was telling mickey when she got here because we were talking about music because i play guitar and a little bit of banjo um but like i i only play really to be able to sing because I just I mean my husband plays mandolin but like I love singing and so I don't have the same connection to guitar that you do but like singing when I'm really like in that zone and I just love it but I want to be able to write songs and the only what I've discovered for my own self is that when I allow myself we were talking about being in that place of freedom and expansiveness and and letting our guard down in music right yeah. and singing and and when I let my guard down, that's when I can hear. Oh. And that's where the words come from. And sometimes in a matter of minutes with lyrics and music and words. And again, that hasn't occurred in a long time because my beautiful guitar was over in the corner. Yeah. So I'm, that's my prayer. Yeah. Is that that's I so will be exciting. able to connect and hear again and yeah. begin to write those lyrics that are given to me. I'm so happy to know you're a music girl because mm. I, I want that in my life I want to lean more into that so maybe we could lean into that together I would love that that sounds That'd so cozy really special um so I do have some listener questions okay I have a few can we can we read those oh uh, yeah okay so the first listener question um coming from a family of drug abuse and now having a spouse suffering from drug abuse in my experience 
oh, sorry, in my experience, my parents made a choice to do drugs and so did my spouse. How is being a drug addict a disease and not a choice? I think that's a really wonderful question and a fair question. Yeah. So how I like to say it is trauma is the driving force of addiction. And when I was in college a long time ago, we studied the disease model, but I like to break disease up into two words, mm -hmm. dis dash ease. So addiction comes from being, being ill at ease with yourself. Mm -hmm. And my definition of addiction is leaving home, meaning leaving the home of oneself and looking externally to numb the pain and dim the voices that are causing that person to use whatever substance it is. Mm -hmm. And recovery is about returning home. And that's really when we choose to get into the arena, mm. right? We step into that arena and we willingly sign up for the messiness and the mud. Right. And so from a person that doesn't struggle with addiction, it might be hard to wrap your head around um, that portion of it. Like what's driving that? That's pain. Addiction yeah. is pain, pure and simple. Yeah. And it's a need to escape whatever's going on inside. That doesn't excuse the behavior. It doesn't excuse um, the need for recovery or change, but it does hopefully add some compassion in there. And empathy. And yeah. empathy, but not to say that as someone living in that, in the throes of an addictive household, what does that person need to do in order to return to themselves? Because oftentimes in a, in a codependent household or dysfunctional household, our focus is on the addict mm -hmm. as the problem. But there's, when I work with family systems, it's a dance. Yes. And everyone has a role and we all know the roles and we play them very well and we move smoothly through our roles and it's only when we decide to do things differently that things can change right so my question to your listener would be is there anything that you can do for your own self to begin your own healing journey of recovery having grown up in addiction and now having married into addiction right that's powerful thank you so much mm -hmm. and that's that's actually pretty similar to another question was like um having never experienced a serious drug addiction myself, I struggle with empathizing with addicts. I think to myself, well, just quit. Right. Even though I know it's obviously not that easy, what are some ways that I can gain more empathy for the people around me who struggle? Wow, I think that's a great question too. And so oftentimes we narrow addiction down to drugs and alcohol. But I would like to expand that, right? Yeah. To drugs and alcohol, yes, but food mm -hmm. to relationships. Yeah. to our emotional um, stuck places or familiar places. Maybe we're um, addicted to chaos or anger or clutter. Or sex or, or the internet. or, or oh, so many things. So many things. And so the question about compassion is, are you, how compassionate are, are you with yourself? Let's turn inward first. And I think the question that just popped into my mind too is, something inside of your listener is asking her to learn about compassion. Oh, yes. Because otherwise she wouldn't have asked that question. Yeah. So it's a desire that she's feeling kind of that, that rock being plucked up out of the riverbed. Like, I know I want to have compassion, but I don't have any understanding. Mm. So what would com one 
act of compassion look like and start there. That's beautiful. And maybe when you see someone practicing their addiction, instead of pointing a finger, you would step into the arena with them and say, what is your pain? Tell me about your pain. Mm, I love that so much. And it's, it's so interesting too, because I know a lot of women that I work with, you know, they're in partnerships where maybe like their partner doesn't really speak the same language or they think it's all like woo woo crap, you know, like the way we talk, right, you know, right. they're like, what do you mean? Talk about my pain. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not in pain. So it's like in those situations, like if one of our listeners is with someone who maybe wouldn't even know what to say to something like that, do you have any recommendations? I would say... A different way to ask that question like about your pain is like I can see that you're struggling what is this about because I care yeah something like that that's like I love you yeah right? and another way love is comes in many languages another way is to set a boundary yeah I mean that might seem harsh but it's like I am not tolerating this anymore right like this isn't the life I want to be living no and so to set a boundary is what draws that line in the sand yes. that says thus far and no more oh. and I am going to stick to my boundaries yes. and I can do that because I love you mm -hmm. not because I'm angry at you but because I love you but I love myself too and sticking to those boundaries you have to stick to those you boundaries. can't falter on those boundaries no, they aren't they aren't boundaries are self-love they are such self-love mm -hmm. and they are again we keep I keep returning to the arena, but it's about getting in that damned arena yeah, and sticking and boundaries are in the arena. It yeah. gets messy because whoever that person is who has not honored boundaries is going to push. Oh yeah. Push hard. And, and they're going to be resentful possibly. And they're going to be insane. Like, I mean, it just happens. It, it we does. Have I haven't drank or used for 20 yeah. days. I should be able to come home. I mean, yeah. I hear that from the children wanting to return home into their parents' home. Like, yeah. I've got 50 days clean. I'm doing good. I'm never going to use again. And parents want to believe that. And I would think as a spouse or partner that you would want to believe that too, because yeah. what are the, uh, what's the other option? Yeah, for sure. Right. It's so beautiful. So helpful. And lastly, this is a little pivot into EFT. Um, what resources are there for someone wanting to start EFT at home? I've been wanting to learn because I've heard it's really good for anxiety, mm -hmm. um, but I'm low on cash. <laughs> uh, I think that's such a fair question. So yeah. I have two answers to that. Yeah. Um, one is the website, the science of tapping dot org and there's tons of resources there perfect and the other thing that i would say is give me a call for a free consultation yeah. no pressure to work with me but i i think a conversation would is warranted to answer that question and to really be of guidance to I this that's, listener that's beautiful and i can link that other website and your website in the show notes um and i have a couple wrap-up questions okay. like ones that i like to ask every guest um what in your life are you most proud of Oh my goodness. You know, you and I were having this discussion about someone that I'm having communication with and I answered that question yesterday. Ooh, so it's fresh, you know. It is. <laughs> yeah. I am most proud of my bravery. Mm. My willingness to be in the arena and to get messy 
and to do my work so I can show up for other women on their journey. That's what I'm most proud of. That's so beautiful. You are so brave. (laughs) I love that you see that. Um, And what are you needing to tend to and love on most within yourself today? Today? Present day. Oh, today in this well (laughs) I'm like yes (laughs) Tuesday afternoon (laughs) here I wait (laughs) what I am in need of tending to um most in my world today is allowing um myself to connect with others in a vulnerable and intimate and I don't mean sexual intimate way but be open to broadening my horizons in that arena which Mm -hmm. yeah broadening my horizon in that arena letting other people into my life which includes the opposite sex yeah dating dating that's beautiful Mm -hmm. I love that that's a big word yeah you're like I know (laughs) I feel like I just dry heaved a little bit (laughs) I know I just might have like cried a little bit yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's so wonderful I'm so excited for you and where can the listeners connect with you you can connect with me on my website, which is not yet published. However, it will be up and running within the next couple of weeks at www.mickeyprofit. It's spelled M-I-K-K-I-P-R-O-F-F-I-T-T.com. Um, Are you on social media at all? I am. I'm on, well, my um, email address, you can connect with me there. I don't have a Facebook page up and running yet. Okay. Do you have an Instagram? I don't. Oh, come on. I'll help you set one up. Yes. I come from a different generation, you know. This You're is... like, watch Instagram. I know. I do know what it is, but I don't know how to use it. <laughs> okay. But hey, well. this is all a learning curve. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm just so grateful to have you back in my life. And Thank you. Ditto. I agree 100%. I'm so excited to play music with you. I know. And thank sing. you. We'll sing so much. I know. Maybe we'll sing on the show someday. Let's let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Okay, we will. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much as always for listening, you guys. The listener review of the week is a five-star review titled The Messy Beautiful Conversation, and this is from Sloth Emmer. Wow, the first episode is incredible. Danny is such a joy to listen and is so skilled at gently digging into the topics that many avoid but so deeply shape our lives. I can't wait to dig into the mud some more. Thank you so much for that review. You guys, if you have not rated or reviewed the show, please do this for me. It could be like a happy birthday, Danny, Merry fucking Christmas. (laughs) I would appreciate it so much. So head over to iTunes, rate me five stars if that feels okay, and just share what you love about the show. How has this helped you? I would just deeply appreciate it, you guys. And also, if you know anybody who could benefit from the topics we're talking about here at Mudlark, share it with them. Bring them into our little community. This is just how the show is going to grow and land in more hands, more hearts. I would just so appreciate it. And I love you so much. I hope you have the best week ever. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Bye.